Hey, welcome everybody to the Sacramental Charismatic. I am Luke Garrity, your host, and I am a pastor theologian in Northern California. And uh, I feel like this year, 2021, has been a somewhat productive year because I have been able to record and uh, put out some podcasts on a somewhat regular basis. That's my goal for this year, uh, or for this season, I should say, and for all seasons in the future, is to keep on putting out podcasts with really great guests. And uh, I'm getting into the rhythm, so it feels really, really good. Uh, if you've been listening to this intersect uh, this uh, podcast for a while, you'll know it's an intersection of uh, a variety of different subjects. We talk about pneumatology, ecclesiology, missiology, and sacramentality, but we also talk about whatever comes up. And I've had some great guests, and so if you are new to the podcast today, you should check out the catalog of episodes that has come out. Uh, today, I'm really, really pleased to have a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, who we've been hoping to do a podcast for a while. He has a day job, though, so I'm always constantly having to figure out when I can get him on this podcast. Uh, and he also has been dodging me a little bit, but I'm going to ha- have him on this podcast today. We're going to get him to share why he's been dodging, but I'm super pleased to have Ramon Ramon, the Ramon, Ramon Mayo. We are super pumped to have you on this podcast, Ramon. What's up, Luke? Why you been dodging me, bro? I haven't been dodging you. I gotta go to work. I can't be like just taking breaks doing podcasts. I feel like you could. You work from home now. I mean, you're in Chicago. Feels like you no. can do that. No, you have no. a job that monitors your output. <laughs> well, I'm the monitorer. Oh, that's even worse. That would be a bad example. That would be like, hey, our manager is doing podcasts all the time. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. yeah, man, I'm super uh, grateful for you taking the time to be a part of it. Um, and I, I know we're going to get into some fun conversation today, but I just wanted to say we, we've known each other for what, seven or eight years? Something like that? It's been about seven years. I know since I've been in Chicago. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's been seven years. And you uh, have been a church planner. You are also in the Vineyard Movement, the tradition that I'm a part of. Uh, you've been a youth pastor. You have been a uh, associate pastor. Where are all the things that you've done? I mean, you've done a well, lot. Well, I was a part of a church plant. I wouldn't call myself a church planner. You're a church planner. No, in the Vineyard, that's exactly what you do. You, If you were a part <laughs> of a church plant, then you tell people you're a church planner. I have multiple people that I've seen. No, before. I didn't have that much skin in the game, so... Did you go? Um, Were you there? Did you yeah. set up? Yeah. Okay. Church planner. <laughs> anyway. It's on your it's on your resume. So yeah, I was a part of a church plant in SoCal. Um became associate pastor there, then took over as the lead pastor. Mm. Um that church was a multi-ethnic church. And we we I love that church because we're a multi-ethnic church. Um that's one thing we got right. All the other stuff about church, we didn't get quite so right. <laughs> so we had to we had to shut that thing down. Um, and then moving out here to Chicago, I became I got a job as an editor um, for an African American Christian publisher, and so I've been doing that for about seven years. And then I've been here at uh, the South Suburban Vineyard uh, with Gino Allison and doing just a variety of things. But for the last few years, I've been really focused on. Uh, youth ministry. Mm, awesome. And uh, your 
your wife and you have three kids. Yep. Yeah. And I've seen your kids and they're probably some of the cutest kids in the universe. Not um, for me. Uh, yeah. I was going to say your no wife. No credit. Yeah. And so you've uh, been involved in a lot of different areas of, of, I think in our, in the region out there. Um, you know, we've, I, I've actually, I preached at your church. Were you, I don't know if you were there when I was there. I preached at your church one time though. Mm -hmm. I was there, but I actually was, was that like, in the room? Yeah, I was, I was in the I room. Think, I feel like, uh, I feel like you had to like go do youth ministry or kids church or something like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, you're, you're, the church community you're a part of is amazing. Gino and the team there have done a really great job. Um, and, uh, so yeah, you know, uh, I think you have, we've been talking about doing a podcast for a while and, um, you have just written a book that's going to come out in about a week and a half. Um, correct? yeah, February 10th is the launch day. Hey, that's my birthday, dude. So well, maybe I can give you a copy. I don't want you to give me a copy. I'm going to buy 10 <laughs> copies for myself. Uh, because I um, yeah, so we, we were talking about doing this, but I, I thought you had a great idea. Um, you know, and I've, I've checked out your book. Uh, you, I got the sample chapter. I want to talk about your book in a little while too. But, um, what I thought was a really great idea is you said, Hey, why don't you have me on for black history month? Um, you know, and so for anybody listening, February has been is Black History Month, and it's uh, I thought a great idea, and I was thinking more about it, and I thought, hey, I'm going to just have all uh, black black voices and black people on for the entire month of February because I think that there's um, a lot of people that I know that I'd love to have on, and this might be a good time to try to give them. Like I was like, okay. I'll ask them to be on for Black History Month, and they can't say no. It's Black History Month, and they're black, <laughs> and I'm white, and you know. So it's so far it's been working, uh, but I, I love that idea uh, about this uh, this month being kind of dedicated to exploring um, different uh, voices and perspectives uh, in the church that from from our black brothers and sisters. And I just really am so grateful for you for even just suggesting that as an idea, because it, it seems to be a really, um, it's just working out really well with some of the conversations I wanted to have. So thank you for that. But it also goes to the uh, topic of your book a bit too, which we're going to get to. So for our listeners though, who may be new to the idea of black history month, or maybe like, you know, that's something they see on TV, but they don't really understand why it's important or the history of it. Would you take a few minutes here and just like flesh out why black history month exists, why it matters and, um, you know, help us understand why this is such an important, important thing to, um, celebrate and to participate in. Well, I mean, just from the historical level, it's, it's Black History Month was started uh, by a guy named Carter G. Woodson, who was a historian, um, a Black historian. And so he basically wanted to highlight, he wanted to take uh, a month to highlight the, the accomplishments and the uh, leaders and the great people within Black history, um, within America's Black history. Um, and so it's it's important to me and I think it's important for all of us as Americans to acknowledge the contribution that black people have made to the country. Um, you think about like America wouldn't be America without African-Americans. I mean, in some ways, if you think about the, the things that we value and the things that the world values about America, a lot of it is because 
of African-Americans. And you think about, you know, what's American music? It's jazz, it's rock and roll, it's hip hop. You know, that's those are black contributions. When you think about um, just the the culture and the cultural exports of America, you, you think African-American contributions. And so it's something that we don't really think about how much um, African-American culture and African-American contributions um, contributed to the making of America and the success, if you think about the worldly, you know, prosperity success of America. You know, this, exactly, exactly. This country was built on the back of slaves. And so not only that, but then you gotta think about um, the folks who were free and after, you know, post-slavery, people who were inventing things that we don't really, you know, we take it for granted, like the traffic light. Mm-hmm. You know, that was invented by a black man, you know, Gary Morgan. So um, those things, um, they don't get the the attention um, throughout the year. And it should be that it's black history should just be in American history. It should be interwoven throughout, but it's not. And so we highlight, you know, black black contributions in the month of February. And that's where we get, you know, Black History Month. Mm-hmm. Um I think for the Christian, it's it's even more of an imperative to um, honor and appreciate black contributions, especially when you think about um, the Christian um, contribution to America as far as African Ameri- the African American Christian contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, we th- we talk about the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening. Nobody ever talks about the Third Great Awakening. Um, post-Civil War, one of the biggest, largest church planting, if you want to talk about a church planting movement, um, that was throughout the South. Once slaves were free, they were building churches. Um, That was was like one of the biggest revival times um, in the course of American history from 18, I think that was 1865, all the way to like 1900. Yeah, and and largely um, it doesn't, feature in a lot of church history books. No, like you don't. Yeah. You don't see that. You would see it in Carter G. Woodson's book, um, History of the Negro Church. Mm-hmm. Um, du Bois talks about it in uh Souls of Black Folk. But you don't you don't see, I mean, I haven't seen a book that's that a recent book that really highlights that. Yeah. Yeah. So is that um I was you know thinking about how like a lot of um I can't speak to school uh, history classes now because it's been decades since I've been in high school. Right. Or, but, you know, it seemed like when I was a kid, there were, uh, you know, there were a few little highlights. You know, Washington Carver got, uh, you know, a big a big shout out. And it was always because of peanut butter, which I think he actually didn't even invent peanut butter. He just invented like all these other things with a, mm-hmm. to do with peanut. So, yeah. Yeah, like peanut butter probably wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for Washington Carver. But... It's it's fascinating though because um, there there wasn't a lot of emphasis on African Americans in history, and I, I love what you're talking about how there's been so many different significant contributions over the course of our history that it's it's really sad that we don't have more space for that. So the history behind it is to expose the wider um, American, I guess, public you know 
people to the contribution of a significant portion of our population to like say, hey, not only, um, you know, are they here, but they've also been participating in and con contributing for a very long time. Yes. And it's it's I mean, it's a hidden history. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, we think about, you know, the like you said, George Washington Carver, you know, nod to Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass. Yeah. But, you know, there's so many different things that people don't know about the history of black people in America, black folks in America. I mean, Central Park, the area of Central Park used to be a black town or a black neighborhood in New York. Um, that's, I mean, most people don't know that. Um, yeah, Tulsa, know. There, there was an area in Tulsa called Black Wall Street that yes, was, yeah. you know, mass, there was a massacre, it was right, the whole thing got burned down, but it was a city that was filled with, I won't say filled, but there were a lot of millionaires um, yeah. in Tulsa at the time. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, that kind of stuff gets played down or at, at least it's hidden. You know, people yeah. don't really yeah, talk about it. It seems like I, I had not heard of uh, Black Wall Street until this previous summer when our country seemed to have um, you know, a, a national, Eric calls it a national reckoning. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the best term myself, but, but there was definitely at the forefront of society that there were these, it, this was not new to the world, to, to our country, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, yeah. um, the situations and the terrible experiences of African-Americans has been happening since day one before we were even a country. Right. Um, but yeah, the black wall street story is, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know what, what words to use other than it's absolutely terrible and it's tragic and it's, you know, just grieving, grieving, um, you know, to read. So let me ask you this then in, for you, like what would be the best introduction to for someone like myself who, you know, I love reading. I love history. Like if I wanted to get, you know, a really good um, history of African-Americans in and, uh, you know, what are like what's one book or what are a couple of books that you'd say, hey you need to check out that book and we'll leave a description in the, uh, in the description area of each book. Uh, a link. So I think hmm, there's so many to choose from, but if you're talking about like an introduction, um, probably uh, before the Mayflower. Okay. By Lerone, I, Lerone Bennett. That's his name. And I think the latest edition goes up to like the nineties. But I could be wrong. It could be even more revised now. I haven't looked at it in a while. Like my my copy is from the nineties. Okay. Um, but yeah, Lerone Bennett goes all the way from um, Egypt to West Africa to slavery to I mean, he goes to Jamestown to the Civil War to Reconstruction. I mean, the whole gamut. Um, so it's it's a really really good book. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, so we'll leave a link in the description for that book for anybody who's interested in, in uh, learning more about, about African-American history. And this would be a great month to pick up a copy of that book as well as yeah. the other books that might be out there. No, that, that, that really is, I think, helpful. Um, so let me ask you this, let me play the devil's advocate just for a moment, just to, you know, I think. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. Not the I'm devil's really, advocate. Not really the devil, but like, you know, when, when I, I've heard people, um, you know, think about black history month or any any month like march is women's month and i'm i'm uh, thinking about 
trying to make the commitment of having only uh, women pers- women speak on my on the podcast for March. You know, because I've been reaching out to a mm-hmm. number of uh, women who are biblical scholars and theologians. I think that'd be really fun uh, to do. But you know, I've heard several people over my in the course of my life say things like, "Well, you know, th- you know." We shouldn't just focus on one group of people at one time because, you know, a lot of people have done things and we don't talk about them or, you know, whatever. And maybe you've even heard other dumb. Uh, sorry, I let, I let my I play, play my cards. Uh, <laughs> other people say other things that that would almost be dismissive to the value and the importance of a specific time of month to talk about, um, you know, the contributions of one group of people or, you know, what what like. What would you say to that? What would be your primary way of? Because you're not you're a nice guy. Like you wouldn't punch him. I would probably just punch people. <laughs> you're like you might be helpful in this area. I, I think this that just shows a lack of awareness of history. Like it's it shows a lack of awareness of a broader view of history and a broader view of the I guess the historical oppression of different groups. Mm. And so, you know, it's like that whole argument of um, if you do this for black people, then that's racism against white people. And it's it's not. It's we're trying to, you know, to promote one group at a certain time for a specific specific purpose is not down in the other groups. It's focusing on that one group. It's just like. You know, if I had a kid, if I had a kid, I have three kids, (laughs) but you know, with your kids, one of them has a birthday, you're celebrating their birthday. You're not down in the other ones. Mm, Yeah. You know, their birthday is coming, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so I think it's very sensitive for people to think that, like, I think it, it speaks to a sensitivity and a, I think when you've been on top and I speak, I speak to, you know, being on top as far as the majority culture, the majority white culture, when you've been on top to promote, you know, another ethnicity, um, it becomes like a threat. Mm. So anybody who, for me, anybody who speaks that in some way you feel threatened. Yeah. So like, that's, that's the place of like, um, I mean, it's really easy, I think, for people who have been you're using the word power or having the influence of the majority. But like privilege would be another word that's been you know used quite a bit in the last. Yeah. Uh, well, it's been used for a long time. In the last year, it feels like people mm-hmm. are actually like, oh, I, I hadn't really thought about that as much, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's like really dismissive and easy when you have had lots of focus on your history to tell other people to not really worry about it or exactly. not celebrate it. So let me let me just flesh that out a little bit more. Um, and I almost, I like, as an, ad, I want to be an advocate for that because I do think that um, like reading your book, I reread the chapter again today and, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to read the rest of the book because of all the different theologians you're going to cover, which we'll talk about in a minute because they're some of my favorites. But um, y- you know, like the feeling that you're talking about of d- dismissal, like when, when somebody tells you to not celebrate your own heritage, your own ethnicity, uh, you know, like I can't imagine a white person being okay with that. Like, you know, if you said to them, Hey, don't, you shouldn't celebrate your Italian heritage. Don't eat Italian food or like, that seems crazy, you know? Yeah. Flesh that out for me. Like what are, so it just feels dismissive. Is it, what are some other feelings? 
I, I think, and, and this is something I, you know, I don't want to say that everybody feels threatened because you can come at a subject out of pure ignorance. Like I've, I've had conversations even with people of other ethnicities, my Asian brothers and sisters, and I've been, you know, put in check and corrected. Um, so I don't speak to people's like motives. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times it is like a sense of being threatened, but other times it's a sense of just not understanding, like a true, like, Hey, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but that lack of awareness just speaks to the fact that, you know, we haven't celebrated <laughs> the the history of African-Americans or any other um, group because you wouldn't even question it. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. Well, we talk what I said about, you know, his, American history, we don't really highlight stuff. And you think that's all there is. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why we even promote uh, Black History Month or even a Women's History Month or Asian American History Month, all of that is because it's hidden. It's not in the textbooks. It's not spoken about. There's not that many movies about it. There's, I mean, it's just, it's just not there. Like, I was privileged, like, where I grew up. We had it like because we were, you know, majority African-American and Mexican, we we really promoted that. At least the school district did um, for, you know, for us. But I know in other districts and other places that wasn't being talked about, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we had a lot of African-American teachers who, you know, they you know, we had our set curriculum and then they would kind of take us aside like, OK, yeah, here's this other curriculum. Here's some stuff you need to know about your past. Exactly. And not not just your past, but how your past has been impacted by the pasts of other people in our country, right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I wonder if you know. Sometimes it feels like there's there's a um, like. I mean, I think that you're you're right. There's it's hard to know the motives behind a lot of people and and how their ignorance fleshes out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because I don't. I do. I, I was I was just thinking about that. Um, talking to a friend today about how sometimes the the uh, outcome is really bad, but the motivation actually may not be as bad as it sounds, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but there's like a fear um, of, you know, we talk about reckoning, you know, that's a lot of conversations I've had with um, friends, you know, people of color have been talking about a national reckoning for the atrocities of the past. And, you know, I'm still like, I don't know what reckoning looks like or means. I know the church's response should be definitely wrapped up in repentance and should be in humility for sure. Um, but I still like, well, how do we reconcile in, re- you know, this past? But it seems like there's some people who are just like um, almost it's like they don't want to really go down that road because to be um, to be confronted with the reality of it is almost unbearable which is a really, again, another place of privilege, though, to be able to say that. It's like, um, you know, like, well, I don't want to have to deal with the emotional toil of having to know what happened during slavery or Jim Crow law, whereas every black person I know is very familiar with every single one of those situations and has had to live through the toil of that. Um, Do you think that's a fairly common reason why a lot of or maybe some people would be really hesitant to dive into exploring more of the bad parts of our history yeah i mean there's so many reasons i feel like like i always say like if somebody says something that seems racist i i try to like caution people like you know they really could be racist and just hateful 
they could be selfish and not really thinking about you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they want what they want. And if they give in to whatever you're wanting them to give in to, then they lose something, mm-hmm. you know, or they could just be dumb. <laughs> this is why i like you a lot uh, yeah you know are all three i mean it's it's mm-hmm. it's we can't assign motives we can't assign like that that's not up to us i feel like that's something that i want to steer the conversation away from because yeah. um, a, a lot of the conversation that i've been seeing like on twitter and just in the media it's like everything somebody says if it's not politically correct is racist and it's like that's not that's not how this works like yeah racist or dumb that that's the that's kind of the um you know it's interesting because i like trying to navigate the political environment right now is really challenging for followers of jesus you know like it's just challenging and and um you know because there's the ideologies that are trying to vie for complete um, you know, allegiance. And, mm-hmm. and I think followers of Jesus, as you and I have talked about before, it's like, we we're like unable to, it's like, exactly. I, sometimes I'm over here and sometimes I'm over here mm-hmm. and it's going to be based off of the specific issue. And it might be a little yeah. bit more complicated and complex um, and nuanced. But one, one thing that seems like it's really common now is that to throw the racism card out on everything is, and then go into this cancel culture concept where everybody's getting canceled on it, which is something I've, had numerous people uh, talk about lately with me. Um, it's like, man, I, I want to acknowledge that racism is real, though. I mean, I have mm-hmm. seen, you know, yeah, my wife and I have have uh, not experienced it, obviously, in the same manner that a lot of other people have. But we've we've seen a lot of it um, in the last few years, more so than probably most of my life. And um, it's it's kind of hard because, you know, um, like I want to be able to just say, hey, that's that's race. You're racist. That's a racist perspective. And I found telling somebody that a racist doesn't work nearly as well as when I say, hey, let me unpack for you why that perspective is actually rooted in an ideology that is actually um, racist. Like you might not yeah. intend it to be, but exactly like, it is. Exactly. You know, and and I think that's why I really have appreciated our friendship because I feel like, um, y- you know, you have just been really helpful for me to think about. Um, things in a manner that's moving towards reconciliation and moving toward better understanding of people and um you know like trying to just be aware like i love that you're talking about that uh, from that perspective so you can't assign motives but some people are dumb that's what I. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't assign motives and i feel like when people are like that whole phrase that that approach that you said, hey, I don't want to feel this, you know, this reckoning, this this emotional toil, um, that is a privilege. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't do that. I can't say I don't want to feel this. Like, I feel it all the time. Um, I, I was on another podcast. I think it was the Vineyard Justice podcast. I was saying, hey, when I drive through um, West Virginia or Western Pennsylvania or Southeastern Ohio. What's up, Vineyard friends in those places? Mm. <laughs> hey, I'm scared if I'm driving at night. Because mm. that's, that's you know, they did a study, a Twitter study, where they found the most N-words that were dropped were from people in those areas. Mm. 
And so that's they they named it Racist Row. Wow. And so if I'm driving to my mother-in-law in, in Pittsburgh area and I'm driving through south southeastern Ohio or through West Virginia or even western Pennsylvania going there and it's nighttime, it's like, hey, we need to get to where we need to get. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it may it may be irrational, right? But I saw the data. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel I like saw it, the data, I, I was upset. I was I, I was feel like that's not irrational at all. I think that that's really reasonable. I was surprised. I was, I had shared a story, um, you know, uh, one of many stories I could share uh, about how when I was touring um, back in the underground battle rap days, and I was touring with um, just a, a, all people of color. I was the only white dude. And um, three of my, my black friends um, were on tour with me and then a Latino. And I kid you not, every time we went through a small town, we got pulled over. It was like, I mean, we just ex expected it. And I, um, you know, we would pull over and I didn't have any, like, no, um, no searching of my thing. It was always, you know, the, the black dudes who basically had to get all their stuff out. And we'd sit there. And I remember one time, uh, uh, I remember I got really upset. And I should have been upset for other reasons because it happened so consistent. But I got really upset because one of my record crates holding all my my 12 inches, like one of the cops took it and threw it on the ground and just spilled it all over. And I was like, this is wrong. You know, <laughs> never mind the fact that it had been happening to my friends for literally their whole entire lives. And I was surprised. And that was 20 years ago. It, it was, it was 20 years ago when it happened. Um, but a person told me, well, you can't bring that up now because that happened so long ago and it doesn't happen anymore today. And I was like, I don't know. All my black friends now tell me that happens all the time where they live. So it's probably true. It seems like it's true. In some cases, our society has made progress, but there's still a lot of places in the U S that have not made progress. And there's still a lot of people who have a really, um, yeah bad way of looking at people um you know and so yeah I, I think that it would make perfect sense why you know there's people out there who feel um you, you know like they have to be really careful in certain places yeah i, I mean i grew up you know in compton and linwood and we had you know there was a sheriff's gang right you don't normally think of sheriffs forming a gang <laughs> supposed to be them chasing after the gangs, but they formed a gang called the Linwood Vikings. And the Linwood Vikings, of course, they were, I think they were all white, um, but they would harass African-Americans, especially young African-American males. And so that's my- Like they would, gang members would be their thing, right? We're, gonna, we're just gonna harass anybody who looks like our profile. Who, look, who looks like a gang member, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's what my my most of my friends, you know, being in the hip hop world, you know, everybody dressed in in uh, urban clothing or urban gear. Which I loved reading your uh, your chapter about cross colors. I was like, I remember cross colors. <laughs> I remember. Uh, but Carl Kanai, um, <laughs> you know, like it's it's it, it seems like that, yeah, yeah, like that's a real reality though for a lot of people and it doesn't mean that all that's the, that's the crazy thing that i've tried to explain to people i'm like it doesn't mean that all cops are bad in fact most of my friends that are that are living in urban settings want to have more police officers who are better trained who are you yeah. know doing their best to stop bad guys like they're not at all saying you know get rid of the cops or anything they want um the 
the bad stuff to happen yeah. uh, to no longer happen in their uh, their communities and um yeah it's that's the polarization though that seems to be happening mm -hmm. where it's like if you say hey there are bad cops and bad cops should be prosecuted and they should do things to you know to be able to remove them um it seems like there's people who jump to the conclusion that you're saying that all cops are bad and it's like no i very specific yeah. language here yeah, one of the so. one of the things we need for this day and age, this season we're in, is the ability to look at nuance mm -hmm. and complex issues that are multifaceted. I mean, yeah. you talk about something like police brutality, that's multifaceted. Yeah. Right. You do have a crime element in a lot of these areas, um, which I mean that's it's justifiable for anybody who's patrolling that area to be on guard and to be scared. But then you also have bias from the police officers. It's like, where'd you get that bias from? And should, should you be patrolling the streets with that kind of bias? Mm -hmm. So there's there's just all kinds of, there's different angles to it. And yeah. you can't, you know, it's like what you said, like you can't say like, all cops are bad, you know? <laughs> Um, but no, you can't well, that's what's fascinating about this past summer. And, you know, like I, I like to think of, you know, there's that proverbial, like the most woke guy in the room is the white dude who's, you know, 25. Um, and I, I like, that seems so crazy to say, but, it, but it's kind of true. Like, right. And uh, I, I was talking to a friend and he, he is in that kind of like that category would be the best way to explain it. And I was telling him, I was like, dude, I'm like, I'm with you. I think police brutality um, exists. I think there are systemic injustices in our system. I don't think all police officers are evil. And I think that you have to reconcile what do you do with the vast amounts of Christian police officers out there who actually are trying to make a difference. And exactly. he, was like, he was telling me that all cops are racist. I was like, well, what about all the black officers and the Latino officers and the Asian officers? I was just going to say yeah, my like, god brother has been a sheriff. Like, yeah, like <laughs> kind of sheriff. and he's Can't black. Yeah, I remember. Uh, do you remember um gospel gangsters? Mm-hmm. Okay, so solo RIP passed away uh last year, which was you know, oh, he, so for those of you who are listening who are not into the Christian rap game, gospel gangsters, name might be a little cheesy, but when they came out, they were the first like for real, like they were good, you know. They were like praising yeah. the Lord, seawalking, yeah. man. But but like, but they were like good MCs. They could rap really well. They had good beats. Um, they weren't cheesy Christian rappers. Yeah. They were they were ex gangbangers though, like for real. But I remember on their album, I, I re listened to it when I was driving down to Pasadena in uh, last July, and I was listening to it because I, I was uh, sharing I was sharing it with my daughters. I was like because we were talking about racism and, and just all the stuff that had happened due to George Floyd's uh, murder. And um, I, there's a part on their, their first album gang affiliate where they talk about not all cops are, are bad. And they, they recommended, uh, I think it's like cops for Christ, the organization, but they also have a whole song about police brutality from their experience mm -hmm. of being in the hood, you know, living in, in, uh, in South central. And um, yeah, it's, 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 I think the nuance thing is a real, real important um, point, though, because if we don't have nuance, if we don't have nuance, we can't appreciate Black History Month. If we don't have nuance, we can't appreciate Asian American History Month. Hey, if you don't have nuance, you can't love people. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Because, you know, the only universal is Jesus, right? Mm. That's the only, like, we can always say Jesus is Lord, but we can't always say 
this particular kind of person is this particular kind of way because people are too complex for that. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason why there were some slaves back in the day who were close to the slave master and others who were out in the field and others who would run away because there's nuance to people. People mm-hmm. do things for different reasons, for different motives. People have different personalities. I mean, that's just the way of life. Like you take one family and you got, you know, five, six, seven personalities who would react in a different way depending on the situation. And that's just one family. You multiply that by the, you know, I think it's what, how many people on the earth? Eight billion people. Yeah. Like you can't categorize this group of people as they are all racist. It just that it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, I think that's true. That which is hard right now because you know certain people in political parties, it seems really easy to quality, you know, to yeah, to say hey that whole entire. But I but I've been saying that too because like I, I think with the political spectrum, this is you know kind of well it is on topic. You know, right now it's like I'm trying to like man, what am I? How do I define myself? Because man. These extremes are crazy to me. The extreme mm-hmm. left is off its rocker and the extreme right is off its rocker. They're both, it's like, they're both the same thing. Only the other, you know, like the other extremes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was, I was, I was talking to somebody who was basically telling me anybody who votes for Trump is a racist. And I was like, Hey, listen, I think that it's one thing to, um, to acknowledge that the, the uh, policies here are racist or, you know, some of the, um, issues that, or, or even he as a candidate, um, has said racist things, but I think there's a lot of people out there that whether you agree with them or not, I don't think that they're motivated by racism in their voting block. And so if you really mm-hmm. want to have a conversation to be able to understand them, you can't start with that. It's like the same thing exactly. as saying anybody who votes Democrat is a baby killer. Like, That's I don't not how that works. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's more nuanced uh, than that, but we don't yeah. like in society, it seems like we don't like nuance. We want to no. be able to make it easy and just dismiss everybody who's not like us. Exactly. We don't like nuance. We don't like moderation. It's easier to just jump on a bandwagon and be extreme. It's yeah. harder to stand back and say, hey, wait a minute. I know my tribe is voting this one way, but mm-hmm. can I critique my tribe? Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's that's a hard thing to do. It, it really is. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how you feel at, at times, but it feels really lonely. You know, yeah. like it feels like, man, I just I can't get down with either uh, or, you know, some of these perspectives. It just feels like for me, you know, my allegiance to Jesus and the kingdom make it really, really hard for me to go one particular way, because I want to say I'm pro-life while also thinking that putting babies in cages is yeah. bad and racism is real and we need to stand, you know, it's like all the, and, yeah. it's, it's, and crazy, it's, crazy. it feels, it feels lonely, right? Cause the, the extremes are always the loudest. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. But, but, but I don't think that they are the majority though. Exactly. The the majority of America, the majority of Americans are in that moderate group. Yeah. Um, they they they're not the loudest. They're not on social media because I at think least I hope this is true. What'd you say? I should say at least I hope this is true that they're not the majority. Well, they're they're not. They're not. I can I mean I can safely say that. I don't have the data, but I can safely say that because to be to be in the extreme group. It's so extreme that you have to promote it, right? Yeah. You have to convince people and it's persuade true. people because it's yeah. so crazy. 
And it's so effective too, Ramon. I don't know if you notice it. Like people get converted all the time on Facebook with all of those posts from po- political parties. I mean, it's so effective. I totally understand why people yeah. continue to I'm, share over I'm and over. I'm jumping on the bandwagon, man. I gotta, yeah. I gotta get my memes out there. <laughs> this is ridiculous, man. I, I really uh, appreciate your thought. I want, so I want to talk about your book. Um, but before we do, is there anything else that you think would be helpful for our listeners in relation to? Black History Month, or even just in in relation to uh, ethnic diversity, and you know how you feel like the church is is in need of maybe a prophetic a prophetic critique or a prophetic call. Which maybe we'll get into this when we talk about your book, because your book kind of is that. Yeah, I think one of the things that, um, and this is kind of segue to my book, but one of the things that we have to remember is for what. How long has colonialism been around? What, 400, 500 years? Um, that, that whole project of European colonialism segue into you know, American slavery, um, it's, it was a propaganda project. Yeah. Um, it was a propaganda project. How can you take humans and make them beasts of burden? Bur- beasts of burden. You gotta, you gotta dehumanize them. And the best way to dehumanize them is to tell a whole different story about them. Mm. So that narrative, you know, there's been a narrative that's been crafted that basically has, has said black people, um, and, and not just black people, right? There's like a hierarchy, you know, black people, Asian people, anybody that's non-white um, will dehumanize you by saying that you're dumb, you're sneaky, you know, whatever uh, bad um, characterizations we can give you, you, you're sneaky, you're dumb, you're hypersexual, like all of these different things. Um, And you see it and you don't notice it, right? But it's all over the media we consume. Mm -hmm. It's ingrained, it's ingrained in the system. It's it's ingrained, exactly. It's ingrained and you don't notice it. Um, And that's what people talk about um, a lot of times, like, you'll hear the term white supremacy. And it doesn't mean, like, you know, the KKK marching through the neighborhood all the time. Like, it means when you think about a certain person in history and your imagination sees them as white, mm-hmm. but you know the facts say they weren't from Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's the work of white supremacy. Yeah, and it's 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 such a prevalent thing in history um, because it's been you know like the whole concept of whitewashing history is is uh, true. It's it's happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's talk about your book uh, because I think you know what you're saying is obviously a big part of of your book um, and the kind of the putting it together. So. Um, Let's talk about that and let's let's kind of flesh out. I so I wrote down some notes based off of you know, you gave you like, hey, check out my book, here's a chapter, you don't get to read the whole thing. And then I was like, I want to read the whole thing. And uh, I gave you the whole thing. Nah, I got did you really? Are you for real yeah. now? Because I only have chapter one and it's an introduction. No, like I might have gotten another email that I didn't get that like, 
two months ago, I gave you the hey, whole thing. You need to let everybody know that watches this and, and listens to this podcast. I'm not good at email, man. I hate email. It's it's the worst. You ever notice well, I text you? I'm give you a big, huge I'm, attachment. Like uh, I'm a texture. Can you text it? I don't I know. If you text, text it to me, I'm going like that, bro. <laughs> well, what you're getting right now, we're, we're going to talk about your book based off of the table of contents and the first chapter. Um but because I, I I really cannot wait to read your book and I've been looking forward to it forever. And uh, I mean, because you've been talking about writing this book for a while. So uh, name of the book, title of the book. And why did you go with that title? Because I know you had a number of titles that you were contemplating. So name of the book is Reclaiming Diversity. Um, I went with the title because I feel like we think of diversity as this new thing, the hot buzzword you know everybody's you know hey we need we need to be multi-ethnic multi-ethnic churches um it's it's the it's the this the end thing the fat yeah. um but it's cool to be multi-ethnic right now very cool it's it's cool right it's cool you can get in a gap commercial <laughs> <laughs> if they're even open anymore i don't even know if they're opening them anymore COVID i'm sure they, i'm sure they've uh, pivoted to online I, well i think they have but I mean, do people shop buy Gap stuff any stuff anymore? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I I I don't shop anyway. I shop exclusively at Wu Tang Wear, so uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know either. But yeah, Plus, um, shout out to yeah, Method Man. Diversity is like the cool thing, and I was like, you know what? It's the cool thing right now, but it's always been God's cool thing. Hmm. And so it's reclaiming the diversity that we've kind of lost or that hidden diversity, like the, the hidden history of diversity um, of the church. And so I basically, how can I say it? I've been online, I've been doing some online battling myself uh, with a lot of people in, <laughs> you know, I'm not a troll. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. You're not a troll. You're you're very thoughtful. Um, but people come at me. A lot of people um, in my network, as far as you know, my old um, community, people from back home, um, online, they come at me with, "How could you be a part of this religion, this Christianity that's mm -hmm. you know enslaved us?" And you know, matter of fact, it's all made up anyway. It's part of this big white supremacist conspiracy mm. and i'm like you need to read a book yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, you, start, you, start, you start your book uh, talking about that how you have this conversation with a childhood friend who's basically yeah. telling you hey dude why you know like why would you be a christian you know that's a white man's religion it's not even true there's you know hasn't done anything to empower uh people of color it's yeah. it's really bad for black people is basically what your friend was telling yeah. you. And what happened, I mean, just during that meeting, I had just finished taking a class at uh, Fuller. Um, I just took, wait, no, I took the black theology class. No, it was the re-radicalization of black theology. Mm. And so you've heard of James Cone and, you know, black theology, black power, got to be oppressed, all of that. Uh, but this class, the, this class, the re-radicalization of black theology really dug into um, 
taking from older sources, not um, Cone and Cone took from Bart, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> he took from Bart, he, he took from the contemporary sources of the day. Yeah. Um, but in a sense, it's like, uh, would, would it, I've read, I've only read like two Cone uh, works, um, but it seems like it's in a, very similar to how the vineyard early on, we didn't have any vineyard theologians really, right? So what we did is we borrowed from George Ladd and, um, you know, Wayne Grudem, you know, uh, was one of our guys. We, we just took basically, I, I would yeah. say we took Pentecostal and Baptist theologians and vineyardized it you know left behind yeah. the things they didn't like and then added the things that we did that's was that kind of similar to, to your understanding of cone's work with bart and other yeah yeah i mean he didn't have he had bart he had you know some other folks but then he combined those or juxtaposed those with a lot of you know black culture and the situation of the time um <clears throat> So this would be, you know, the re-radicalization of black theology would be instead of going to, you know, in Cone's case, he went to Bart. Um, instead of going to that, um, if we were in the vineyard, we go to the original Quaker sources. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is like what James K. Smith calls, uh, talks about like drinking from your own wells. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. So so our professor, um, Dr. Ralph Watkins, um, he took us to a lot of ancient Egyptian um, mythology um, and said, hey, where are the parallels you see with scripture? Um, what things can critique scripture? What things, you know, from here can, you know, what, what things can scripture critique about this? Mm -hmm. um, so we, we borrowed from a lot of, or we studied a lot of Egyptian mythology. We also studied a lot of the church fathers. Um, just to have a, a greater sense of the sources we could borrow from, from for an authentic black theology or authentic contextualized theology. Mm. So like what like what would be some of the Egyptian sources? So the Book of the Dead. <clears throat> um, so the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Um, what else? So not Christian, not Christian. No, they weren't Christian sources. They weren't Christian sources. So we would look at how, um, you know, how the Book of the Dead talks about, you know, remembering ancestors and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, how does that relate to, you know, things in the Bible about remembering th those who have gone before you? Um, how does that relate to, you know, African culture and how there's a big thing about ancestors in yeah. African culture? Like from the missiology, um, just for those listening, this might be helpful, too, is like, to understand colonization and how it's impacted missions is for a long time, missionaries would go to Africa. And, uh, and I always like to remind people that Africa is this really large continent. So there's lots of parts of it, you know, um, it used to be 52 countries. I don't know how many there are now. Yeah. yeah many. Um, and, and so they would go there and they would see people worshiping their ancestors and would say, you guys stop doing that. It's bad. You should worship only God, Yahweh, Jesus, you know, the whole nine yards, Trinity. Uh, and, and I think missiologists in the last, I, I, I feel like I've read a lot about it in contemporary, like the last 20, 25 years have been um, realizing that actually in the, uh, the African cultures where it's been uh, talked about, it's, it wasn't worship. It was actually just honoring their forefathers and honoring their, 
their great grandfather and their great grandmother. And mm -hmm. it had nothing to do with like worshiping um, those ancestors as if they were gods um, in, in these particular countries. Cause again, Africa's huge. There's lots of different locations yeah. in it. But, but I, I think that that's really fascinating because um, there is something unique about not just African cultures, but I think in almost every culture, outside of the United States and a lot of Western societies where there is a really, it's really important to honor your family and to an, uh, honor those who are the elderly and um, those who have, who have, you know, your namesake matters, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that that's really cool. So, so you were studying different uh, Egyptian works that were establishing some of those things that now yeah. probably influence African culture in general. Mm -hmm. Egyptian works, West African works. We did a lot of work with um, Sheikh Ante Diop. Mm -hmm. um, I, I forget his book. I got to get the title. It's, it's important. This is a book that readers need to know about. Yeah. If you're a reader, you need to know about it. The African Origin of Civilization. I have oh, to get it right. I have, I have actually heard of that book. So yeah, the, the African origin of civilization would talks which it talks about basically how a lot of the things that the Greeks brought into the world or the Greeks, you know, it said, hey, the Greeks did this, but Shagar Tadia basically says, Hey, they stole it. They stole it, yeah. Um, and it's I mean it's debated, right? But I think even if half of his stuff is crazy. I, I really feel like at least the other half would be spot on. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's, I think it's, it, there's no less uh, information out there that has led us to believe that England or Europe was the starting of all civilization. You know I mean? That's, yeah. that's definitely and, a narrative that a and, lot of people get. And he, I mean, he points to like Herodotus, the histories where it talks about how, you know, everything came from Ethiopia then to Egypt. Yeah, you know, he, he he talks about that, and I mentioned a lot, a lot of that in the book. Yeah, it's you know, I was today, so I recorded another podcast today with uh, my friend uh, Edgar King, who I'll be putting this pod. So you're going to be out first because in all celebration of Black History Month, I have to go back mm -hmm. to my main man Ramon. But I'm going to have him on another one, and he's a Kenyan, so I had him on for Black History Month as an African, a true African Kenyan. Uh, and it was interesting because I was talking about how like, Hey, I have to have somebody from the motherland. Uh, you're from Africa. And it's been said many times, like, and I know an underground hip hop culture, right? Like Africa's the motherland is the cradle of civilization. You hear mm -hmm. like a lot of the 5% um, yeah. philosophy out there, which most of our listeners are going to have no idea what you and I are talking about, but the 5% <laughs> wisdom philosophy of a lot of, um, you know, hip hop culture, looks at Africa as being truly the, the cradle of the of civilization. And I just read somewhere recently that, um, that Homer's Iliad, that there's like this debate and it was an, I can't remember what this, what this essay was, but I stumbled upon it. And it's a debate now uh, on the historicity of Homer and, and whether he was an actual person or it's just a collection of stories because some of those stories have been found in other societies, um, not oh, just yeah. Roman. Yeah. It kind of goes to what you're talking about, how I don't know if there's, you know, any validity to that, as you're saying, you know, with this other book yeah. too, but it's, it's definitely worth considering, you know, not just the narrative of, well, this is where it all happened. And this is the only yeah. culture that's influenced society. Yeah. And so we, we went through a lot of that and, you know, 
the the my friend he came at me saying you know hey you know Christianity stole this and the Greeks stole this and I'm like yeah I know <laughs> um, so we had a big debate and basically it came down to I saw the gap where you know we agreed on some things but we disagreed on a lot of things mm. um, part of that is you know he said hey you know if you know somebody you know if Moses and all of these people got this stuff from Egypt then Egypt is the true religion because that was the first religion and I was like well that's that's I know that's a logical fallacy <laughs> um you know just because something came first doesn't mean it's correct um <clears throat> so you know I said hey we, we won't agree on that but there is a gap here and the gap was he had no conception of early church history and the the diversity as far as ethnic diversity of early church history. And so I have been, I mean, since that time, which was over, it's about nine years ago, um, just been digging into the church fathers, um, digging into Ethiopian Christianity, digging into uh, Middle Eastern Christianity. And that's, that's where the book came from is, hey, the church for the first thousand years was super diverse. It wasn't invented in Europe. Um, Europe was a latecomer to the game when you talk about um, Christian, um, I wouldn't say domination, but Christian popularity. Hmm. So you're you're wrestling with all of that in your class. You're having that conversation with your friend and that influences and impacts you to write the book. Yep. Well, that was a pretty easy way to explain it here <laughs> i a couple a couple of things i wanted to then talk about talk about a little bit um you know and this might be for anybody who's into history and church history especially you know you asked this question of um of uh in this is in your introduction you say why is it that today the common consensus is that christianity is a white man's religion if you ask most people they will tell you christianity came to africa Asia and Latin America from Europe. And what I, I when I was reading that, I was thinking, and, and you're basically saying like that's a problem. Um, and really it's that Christianity came to Europe from Africa, um, Asia, and and that um essentially that's part of the challenge with the colonialization of Christianity is that um we've we've ignored our past, we've forgotten our past, we've changed our past and that's really impacted um that's impacted us in negative ways obviously because it's you know it's not true and it's important to know our history but it's also had a negative impact on people of color yeah and that's and that's kind of the missiological reason why i think you're the truth and the history of what you're trying to raise is such an important thing is because what you're trying to say is that it seems like well you actually aren't trying to you you very well say um that that no, Christianity has not been oppressive to people of color. Um, white nationalistic Christianity has been oppressive to people. Of color. But, <laughs> yes, but but actual the history of Christianity has been deeply um, empowering and freeing to people of color uh, all over the world. Is that? Yeah, it's. I mean, <clears throat> when you talk about the most religious group in America. 
the most religious group in America by far is African Americans. Mm-hmm. We outpace every other group when it comes to prayer, when it comes to giving, when it comes to church attendance, when it comes to actually sharing the gospel. Like yeah. most people don't even think about that. Yeah, and every poll reveals that too. I mean, like every poll reveals it. Every, poll every black that. movie reveals it. Yeah. <laughs> There's always Denzel, a tra- for me, Denzel Washington reveals it every single time he says anything. I'm just like, dude, he is Who? I was telling my wife, Denzel Washington, every time he yeah. talks, I'm like, man, this guy is the most Christian actor I've ever heard, ever. You know, he's I think that's right. So African American spirituality, uh, which uh, I, I bought this book. I'm trying I was trying to find it the other day. Uh, but when I was in um speaking of whitewashing history, I went to Jamestown where it all started. And, um, and when I was there, I, it's really fascinating because there's obviously parts of that. that like, this is history. This is part of our history. It's just such a narrow part of the history of the history of it, but it's really fascinating. But I went to this bookstore and I found this book uh, about the theology and it was, it's, it was the weirdest thing. It was just in a history uh, section. It was, but it was about the theology of the African slave um, uh, spirituals. And it's, I mean, man, I like uh, reading it. I don't think the church can talk about lament or uh, grief without considering the songs that were being sung um, amongst the slaves in, you know, in American history. Well, it's really when you talk about, you know, the, the white nationalist Christianity oppressing slaves. One of the biggest issues in those early days was the slaves could not read the Bible. They didn't want slaves to read the Bible because once you read the Bible, you realize you have some worth. Yeah. You realize you're an individual. You know, you have some kind of will. Um, yeah. That that changed the game for so many enslaved Africans. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like that basically became the yearning for freedom. It's like, God knows me right where I am and he doesn't like the situation that I'm in. Yeah. And that's the, that's what's so um, hard to understand. Cause I, you know, I like the, you know, the issue of like, you can't, we have, we have to be with history. When you study history, it's hard to impose our ethics and morality from today onto, you know, to them mm-hmm. while also still being like uh, the, uh, I don't know if you, um, listen to um propaganda the underground the christian mc propaganda mm-hmm. but he's like he's talking about puritans and he has a song oh, yeah. pressure have you heard that one? yeah he's like your precious puritans yeah and he's like oh don't you know that you can't own people <laughs> you know <laughs> like it would seem so obvious he's a no-brainer right yeah like you would think that but obviously we, you know blind spots went up but with george um well not with george um uh yeah with george whitfield it's fascinating that George Whitfield, you know, he was considered a massively progressive liberal and just a little cuckoo because he preached the gospel regularly to slaves mm-hmm. while owning slaves and having a plantation, essentially, uh, I believe, in art in yeah. uh, Georgia. But it's like, you know, he he was is this the incongruence? It's the inconsistency. It's the weird like, how can you how can you own slaves and, and yet preach the gospel to them because you you recognize they have souls. Like it's hard to grasp, but that raises the question about blind spots, I think. And, and that's where we have to be humble, humble now to recognize that in our, 
in our lives, we have these blind spots. And so where are our blind spots? And that's what I really appreciate about your book, because you're raising that, that question about the blind spots we have about our own history as a people, the people of God. Um, but you say this in the book, and this is the part that I thought was such a, an important thing. You said on the home front. So here in, in the United States, I think highlighting the diversity, the Highlighting the diversity of faith will help African-Americans, Latinos, Asian-Americans, and Native Americans discover and own the vital truth of Christianity being a diverse religion, which did not originate in Europe. And so for my listeners and viewers, I want to say a common thing that we talk about in church all the time is probably one of the most important questions somebody asks before they check out your church is, I wonder if there's going to be people like me. If we actually care about people coming to faith, it would seem that we want the answer to that question to be yes. And in in some churches, we might not have a lot of African-Americans or Asian people, but I think part of the way to, to, in a sense, balance that out is to tell the stories about how our faith, we might live in a community that's mostly white people. You know, I've, I talked to you when I was pastoring in Wisconsin, our diversity was Catholics and Lutherans. That was it, you know? So like, how are we, I was telling, I was telling Edgar today, I was like, yeah, I think Ramon, you were the one who told me, well, you can't like, you can't make black people. <laughs> I was like, yeah, there are no black people in my community. But, but if a black, if a black family moved into our, into our community and we were regularly as a church talking and celebrating the fact that Christianity was diverse, that would make a huge difference about that family feeling somewhat welcome in our context, I would assume. I, I, it feels like it would be less of a challenge to be amongst all these people that they're not like because we're saying, hey, you matter. Your your ethnicity is part of our heritage. It's part of our family. Like, we love you. Welcome yeah. to welcome to our community. Yeah, and I think, I mean, when I wrote that, I was really thinking about how there's always these doubts. You know, if you're a person of faith, you have doubts. If you read, you know, the Bible, if you actually read the Bible, you're going to come across some stuff that's going to make you go. Hmm? Okay. <laughs> and so a lot of that can hinder, you know, oh. it's it's that low hum in the back of your mind mm. that can impede you from sharing your faith, that can impede you from praying a little harder. Um, and so. One of those doubts is, is this even for me? Have I been brainwashed into a white religion? You know, and so to remove that doubt, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book is there's no doubt that this is a religion that started off in Palestine and spread to all people. And the early founders of the religion, the early leaders of this religion were from all different places on earth. Mm. So you can you can you can rest be rest assured that you're not brainwashed into a European invention, a solely European invention. I don't want to dismiss the fact that, you know, there were Europeans who helped hammer and shape the faith into what it is, but it's not their sole claim. Mm. Yeah, it's it, it, and that's kind of what you flesh out um quite a bit in your book with the examples of different people who have been significantly influential in the church. In fact, yeah. I, mean, I was just, I just was share this the other day with somebody how I had a really, um, I taught a theology course a while ago on, on some of the greatest influential theologians of the church. And I, um, it was my way of kind of underhandedly addressing, um, racism, uh, in, in a, in a way 
that I Underhandedly yeah. addressing race. It was like it was like a cheeky way to talk about it. I I felt like, like racism like, CIA. Uh, agent. I was like, well, I just used all Af- I used all black uh, theologians. That's all mm-hmm. I talked about. Uh, so nice. I just thought, I would, and no one, I didn't say, hey, I'm going to teach you about black people because uh, I'm white and I probably should never say those words. But I uh, I felt like it was really cool to show people, hey, these are these are theologians who if they had not done what they did, the church would be significantly different today because they, they fought battles for us. Um, you know, that, that many of us are unaware of, you know, I, I use the Trinity as an example, um, you know, all, all the time, we'd be all Jehovah witnesses if it wasn't for Athanasius as an example, wow. um, you know, and uh, Augustine is, you know, obviously one of those, those voices, you know, so like the idea that it's just a bunch of white dudes sitting around with scrolls is just not true. And it was really yeah. fun. It was really fun though to do. And, and, and so your, your uh, book does that you, you unpack um, the, the various different um, people who are not white, who have made a huge impact on, on the church. And that's, that's really cool. So uh, for those of you listening, you need to buy the book, Ramon, you're going to have the book out uh, February 10th. Kindle, everything. paper, everything. Uh, Kindle, um, Kindle's first. Paper is the next week. Okay, and then are you going to do an audio audio book of you reading it? Because if you uh, haven't thought about that, you should. I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm no Morgan Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be awesome if you did that. That'd be a really a great book. Um, cool. Okay, so what can we do as followers of Jesus? I'm I'm thinking about this question for this month. What can we do as followers of Jesus um, in, you know, just people, what can we do to better celebrate um, the, the contributions of black people in this, this, not just this month, but like in our lives? Um, I think something that you just alluded to, uh, what you said about quoting, quoting the theologians, that's, that's genius. <laughs> um, so Instead of always going to white sources, you know, find the black sources. There's plenty of them out there. They you just have to look for them, um, and you'll find them. Like I mentioned that book um, before, the Mayflower. Um, you'll find the trail of black voices in in a book like that. Mm-hmm. Um, black people, at least in the states, we've had our own denominations since the late 1700s. Um, with the uh, African Methodist Episcopal. Um, after that, we had, you know, the Black Baptist denominations and then the Pentecostal denominations. I grew up in the Church of God in Christ. Uh, but there's plenty, plenty of resources, plenty of wells to draw from. Um, and so start picking some different wells <laughs> mm-hmm. to draw from. Um, I think another thing and I guess this goes before that, you have to find the wells um, to actually read a book like Before the Mayflower or Du Bois, Souls of Black Folk or Carter G. Woodson's History of the Negro Church. Um, those are books that highlight, you know, just the Christian contribution of African-Americans. Mm. Um, well, uh, I, I, you know, reading your chapter, you um, I forgot. I um Tom Odin's book. Um, yes, how Africa shaped the Christian mind. Yeah, because he, I mean that that's full of lots of. Uh, that, that's written by a white dude. I should say an old white dude. 
he's no longer actually he's not alive now but but I, I, he was actually probably one of the first uh books i read that kind of got me leaning in that direction and then there was a i want to say it was a, a one volume commentary that featured only african uh theologians do you remember that oh it's uh i do remember that so so odin did a multi-volume early church commentary yeah yes 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 i mean that's what he the patristics was his yeah. thing um, there was a, I know I know what you're talking about with that African theologian commentary. Yeah, it was like African Bible commentary, I think. Uh it, it was a it was cool. It was a one volume uh you yeah. know um selection. I have I have it somewhere around here, but um yeah, I that's that's a great book, I think, for anybody yeah. who to start. And I'll have a link in the description uh, as well for anybody else. What else? Those are you have um, two ideas you have to be Trinitarian at least. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know. It's I'm just going with it, man. I think I think too. Also, just widening your circle. Um, the reason why I ended up in the vineyard is because I widened my circle. I didn't have to. I could have stayed in my Church of God in Christ circle, mm-hmm. um, but I was at like what Family Christian Bookstore. <laughs> they don't have those anymore. <laughs> I do remember those though. Um, but you know, I was going to actually get some Christian hip hop. I was going to get uh, the cross movement CD. So I picked up the cross movement CD mm-hmm. and somehow somebody left the vineyard uh, breathe CD next to it. And I was like, Hmm, how, how unlikely <laughs> what's this? <laughs> I know it's strange. It's like, hmm. And I remember hearing um, some of those songs mm-hmm. Um I don't know if it was on the radio. I just knew, like, I recognized that song, Breeze. So I was like, let me listen to this whole album. So I picked it up and was like, man, this is some great worship. Then I started getting online, like, what is the vineyard movement? Yada, yada, yada. Um, but I, I found a whole stream of Christianity that I had no idea. Like, I had I had no inkling that there was a vineyard movement. Yeah. And, so, and the vineyard was, hi, would you like to be a part of our movement? Actually, no. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do if you ever come to my church. Hi, Ramon. Would you like to be a part of our church? I'll do that. Just to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just widen your circle. Listening to Black preachers, listening to current Black theologians, um, folks like um, a lot of you know the work that I've done with this book. It's being taken even a step further from uh, Vince Bantu, a professor at uh, Fuller. Um, he's got a book and I actually um, cited his book, uh, The Mul- Multitude of All Peoples. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great book. Um, Dr. Antipas Harris um, has a book and he just goes straight to the heart with his title, Is Christianity a White Man's Religion? Mm. Uh, his his book is more comprehensive of, it's it goes into, you know, Biblical, the multi-ethnic nature of biblical characters in the church, um, and also just the issues that we're dealing with as a society right now as the church, as far as, you know, um, racism and racial justice and social justice. But just widening, you know, your circle, reading while black is a good one from Esau Macaulay. I mean, that is fire. It is so good. I I, uh, I can't even touch my Kindle. <laughs> dude, it's so good. I, I was just telling, I've, I've, I think I've recommended that to maybe five or six people now. And I'm like, this may be 
book of 2020. Yeah, it's definitely like, it's I can I can't even think of a better book right now, actually, for 2020. Mm -hmm. So right now it's probably my book of 2020. Yeah. It's, so, yeah, just just it. widen your circle. You may not agree with everything these folks have to say, but at least knowing what's going on. And can um, I just say that should be assumed about every book we, we um, read. Right. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like um, I feel like oftentimes like people of color have to say, now, you white people might not agree with everything. Well, you should just, li but that's true about every book. I mean, like uh, there's not been an NT Wright book that I've ever read that I've been like, ah, I don't really buy into this part. You know, like I love NT Wright and I love a lot of what he's saying, but there's certain things about him, about his, that his high Anglicanism, mm -hmm. to, you know, uh, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a bias in his, I think in his yeah. theology, but it's about, yeah. New, right. Yeah. And I, I I think black folks in America and we, we know about nuance, right? We know that America, the Constitution is great. The Declaration of Independence is great. The Emancipation Proclamation is great, but it's not lived out, right? So do we say, well, just America is just forget it? No, we're trying to work towards a better America. We can sit back and critique while also appreciating what's good about things. And, you know, I learned that from, you know, my grandfather was a pastor and he, he used to always say, you know, we would have guest preachers come and he didn't always agree with what they would say. And he'd say, Hey, chew the meat, spit out the bones, mm. you know, and that's, that's what you have to do with everything. Right. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's not, you know, when you get into everything, this person says is the gospel, you get into what happened you know, a few weeks ago at the Capitol. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that phrase, uh, chew up, you know, or spit, you know, spit out the bones, eat the meat, spit out the bones in the vineyard quite a bit. That seems to be, you know, like, <laughs> uh, does your, was your grandfather uh, a pastor in Compton? Uh, South central. South central. Um, yeah. Was, why Was he at church of God? What'd you say? Was he at church of God? Uh, church of God in Christ. Yep. Wow. Okay. So that's kind of, did you, you grew up going to that church then as a kid? Yeah. So my, so my great grandfather on my dad's side was a bishop in the church. And then my mom's dad was a pastor and that's, that's all I knew. So that's, that's wow. how I grew up. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I've been doing a lot of um, talking. Uh, well, I guess I taught this course a while back. Uh, uh, I included some church history um, and there's, a uh, guy named Ben Blackwell, who's in the vineyard, you might have heard of him. He wrote a book called Engaging Theology, um, and he's a professor at Houston, uh, uh, grad, uh, I think Houston Baptist, but then also he um, is the like the dean or the director at the uh, at the seminary there. And his chapter on the Holy Spirit, I was really happy to see that he used this very beginning. It's on William Seymour. And um, so it, it allowed me to, because of that chapter, I had assigned that chapter reading to these students I have in New Zealand. I had um, I had this huge conversation just about about William Seymour's impact for our charismatic Pentecostal tradition. I mean, we would not exist if it wasn't for this blind, yeah. blind African American preacher. You know, who who I mean, what he went through is um, despicable. You know, I mean, he was treated so terribly by quote unquote Christians. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, really important. So that's cool, man. I, I did not know that about your uh, background. I knew you had a church, uh, church of God background, but I didn't know that your, 
your grandpa was a was a preacher. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. Heritage, What'd you say? That's heritage. That's legacy. I'm trying to fill those shoes. <laughs> You're doing a good job, man. I uh, I really appreciate you taking the time though to um, to be on the podcast, and you know I really appreciate you. Uh, just in general, I mean, you know, knowing you has been a real blessing in my life, and I'm really thankful that you're a part of the tradition I'm a part of. Uh, but even if you weren't, I would still love uh, love you, and, and just really appreciate your thinking, and just your um, you really you really provide a lot of wisdom. I think in a time where we need to have um, nuanced wisdom, as you as you kind of eloquently fleshed out. So for you, those of you watching, listening, um, Ramon's book. Uh, is coming out and um, it's a great book. I really want to recommend it. I'll be buying multiple copies uh, because I always do that for people I believe in. And I'm gonna and, and go to the website if you want to like find out, you know, exactly when it's dropping. Go to the website, subscribe to my newsletter. Um, you'll get all the updates for the Kindle version, the paperback version, and I have a weekly newsletter where I just send out links where you can pick up on some nuanced wisdom. <laughs> yeah, I will. I was, I was going to say, uh, Ramon's newsletter is awesome. Every Friday, I get it, and it's got five. What do you call it? Five stones? Is that what's called? Five stones for Friday. Yeah, it's great because it's uh, it's it's like five really thoughtful links uh, on just current events, theological things. It's just really, really, really great. Um, so yeah, thank you for being a part of the podcast. For those of you who are listening, thank you so much for listening. Uh, check out Ramon's work. Follow him on Twitter. He's on Twitter, and it's. Mayotron at Mayotron, which is uh pretty dang cool. Is Tron 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 or is it Tron? What? What does Tron come from? We know white people know Tron because we know a movie called oh, oh Tron. No, so so back in the day, I mean, and I'm I'm still pretty small. I was like, you know, I used to hang with a lot of ruffians. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know, quiet kid, church kid, or whatever. And, you know, they, they used to call me mega. So, it's oh. like, you know, he's small and tiny, but, you know, big with the, with Megatron. the rock. Okay. Yeah, it was Megatron. So, yeah. I like it. Uh, and actually maybe black people like Tron too. I don't know. Do they, do you, do you, do you, black you know people? what? I was about to introduce my kids to Tron the other day. Okay. So, yeah. so those so of us in the eighties, we look I, was, I was biasing right there. I was like, black people don't know about Tron or they don't like Tron. Wait, they do? Okay. Uh, yeah. Hey, man. Seriously, thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, man. And uh, everybody else, uh, please, again, subscribe, like, follow, all the all the things. Um, we'll talk to you soon. And for the rest of this month, we're going to have a lot of great people on for Black History Month, and I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Luke. Woo! Thank mm-hmm. you.